Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. My favourite programme is Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio 855 on AM Band. Doctor of Philosophy, Teresa Handel. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Tatman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood. Let's get radical about philosophy. This is Joe Nessel speaking on and for Radical Philosophy at 3CR. I can remember speaking early when I first arrived uh, to Melbourne at a program called The Women's Shed, and that was my introduction to the wonders of community radio, which are more important in the world now than ever. And welcome to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Now, there's a couple of couple of things coming up on the 16th of this month of June. We, Radical Philosophy, has got a Radiothon program. So that'll be quite exciting where you can call in with donations to support your favourite radio program. And also we have coming up on the 7th of July a live broadcast um, at the... Australasian Association of Philosophy Conference. So stay tuned for some more details about the live broadcast. And now we're going to hear from, um, uh, we are going to hear about some more appropriate and inappropriate social norms. And I'm speaking to Dr. Lena Erickson about social norms. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. How do social norms emerge? Very good question. Uh, it's, there, isn't a, there isn't just one answer to how they emerge. They seem to emerge in slightly different ways. Some of, and some of those ways we, we don't understand very well yet. So one way in which they can emerge is through a deliberate decision agreement among a group of people that look we've, we have this problem here's a solution now let's all commit to following this solution for example there's a park in this neighborhood we all like this park but if we if we don't put you know if we don't put our litter in the bins but just drop it on the ground the park is going to deteriorate quite quickly it's going to be unpleasant to be there so if we all meet you picture this, all the people in the neighborhood meet on a, in a general meeting. They talk about the problem of littering in the park and they decide, okay, from now on, we're going to all of us put our litter in the bins. You have immediately created a social norm that you put your litter in the bin. And you do so because you create these expectations that others expect you to put your litter in the bin. You expect others to put their litter in the bin. Everyone is aware of all these expectations, etc., etc. But at other times, norms 
seemed to emerge gradually over time without any deliberate decision. They, certain types of behavior slowly spread in the population for whatever reason, so become more and more common. But that in itself does not make them social norms. There are a lot of common behaviors that are not social norms. For example, most people change into pajamas when they go to bed, but there is not a, a social norm that you have to sleep in your pajamas rather than in, say, a T-shirt or in nothing, depending on partly because nobody can say what you do. <laughs> Similarly, most people bring an umbrella if, if there's a threat of rain, but there's no social norm against not bringing an umbrella. It's just rather stupid not to do so. So, so but if a behavior slowly spreads, sometimes it takes on also a normative character. It's not just that it's a common behavior, but it's a behavior that most people think that you ought to perform as well. And that's when we're starting to get into social norm territory. Now that can happen in many different ways. And as I say, we don't quite understand all of these. But one way in which it might happen is that once a behavior is common, it changes the social meaning of behaving that way or not behaving that way. Consider, for example, how the rule to drive on the left-hand side of the road first would have emerged. It probably did not emerge as a deliberate rule in law to begin with. It probably arose out of slowly emerging conventions that you stick to the left in the local community where you were in. And in the beginning, before there is any kind of understanding of what side to stick to, it's, first of all, it's, it's rather risky to drive, obviously, but you are not being rude or offensive or negligent towards your fellow people by driving on the left-hand side or driving on the right-hand side. However, once there is an understanding that most people drive on the left-hand side, if you then drive on the right-hand side, you are risking other people's lives in, to a much larger extent than you would have if you had behaved in the most common way, which is driving on the left-hand side. So now suddenly driving on the right-hand side, which didn't used to have any social meaning whatsoever, has taken on the social meaning of unnecessarily risking other people's lives. And once it has that social meaning, you basically have a social norm going. So that's one way in which norms can emerge without a deliberate decision how social meaning, social understanding of the meaning of behavior can change as a particular behavior starts to become more common. But it doesn't always happen that way. And there are some norms that we're not quite sure how they emerged at all. But there are a lot of different types of explanations and a lot of different models where people are um, trying to investigate what happens under certain conditions and in certain types of populations where behaviors might be normatively expected or just uh, slowly spread for another reason. In what type of way can we influence social norms? This is an enormously broad question, actually. We know a little bit about how social norms change, but not very much. We do not have a comprehensive theory about how and why social norms change. 
So when we ask how can we influence social norms, we will not be able to have a comprehensive list of levers to pull, so to speak. We do know that if you change people's beliefs about what other people do, this often has a very strong impact. Similarly, if you change other pe people's beliefs about what other people think they ought to do, that can also change things quite radically. So an example of the first one is there's been a serious problem um, in some American university campuses of binge drinking. Not necessarily just that people are binge drinking, but that there was this general understanding that if you were cool, you would go out on the weekend and drink and drink and drink and drink until basically you crawled home and didn't remember anything of the evening. But when people gave out a survey to the university students about their drinking habits, it turned out that very few of these university students actually did engage in binge drinking, although most of them believed that other students even in fact, that most other students engage in spin drinking. So there was a false belief that most other people engage in binge drinking. And there was also a false belief that most other people think that it's cool to engage in binge drinking, which meant that a lot of these students who did not engage in binge drinking didn't really want to say so in public, which further uh, maintained the false beliefs, right? So, but this came out in the survey. So when people then, the researchers then, made the results from the survey public about these university campuses so that the students could see that, in fact, there wasn't that much binge drinking going on and their belief that most people engaged in it was wrong and their belief that most people thought it was cool to engage in it was also wrong. And suddenly you saw... Uh, people being much more open about the fact that they did not binge drink, which changed the, the beliefs and took away the social pressure to binge drink, which then also lowered, in fact, the level of binge drinking that there was. You can get a bit of the same problem of falsely maintained beliefs in a lot of other arenas. So there are famous research studies about the collapse of the Soviet Union. The collapse of the Soviet Union is is puzzling in many ways, one of which is before the collapse, everyone thought, or most people thought, that the Soviet Union was very stable. And then when it started collapsing, it collapsed very quickly. Part of what seemed to have gone on is that the social norms of being loyal to the Soviet Union, of supporting the Soviet Union system, that social norm was very strong. Not many people actually did support the social Soviet Union. Most people thought this was a horrible system. But because they thought that most other people supported the Soviet Union system, they didn't want to say so in public. In fact, in public, they expressed support for the Soviet Union because they were afraid they would get punished by other people if they disagreed, if they expressed disagreement. So we have... Lots and lots and lots of people, all, almost none of which actually supported the Soviet Union, who kept in public saying that they did support the Soviet Union, and therefore everyone thought that this is a very stable system and a very strong social norm. But all it takes for this to collapse is that it is revealed 
that the belief that most people actually do think the Soviet Union is good, is a good system, is false. So when a little bit of dissidence started to come up to the surface, well, that triggered a little bit more and a little bit more, and suddenly you got what's called a bandwagon effect, where more and more people join in to express explicitly that they don't like the system. And the more that come, the more that dare to come out in public and say so, the more actually join in and, and, and show that they also disagree, until basically very quickly almost everybody was saying, we don't like the Soviet Union system and the whole support collapsed. So that's one very efficient way in which you can influence social norms. If you can reveal mistaken beliefs about what other people do or what other people think you ought to do. Yes, you're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio, and I'm speaking to Dr Lena Erickson about social norms. What do you think society would be like if we didn't have any social norms? I find it very difficult to imagine a society without social norms, to be honest. It would have to be a society in which views about what we ought to do in various types of circumstances were not at all widely shared. So it would be a very chaotic society. It would be a society in which it would be very hard to predict what other people are going to do and very hard to predict how they're going to react to what you are doing. It would be a very difficult society to live in. Also, a lot of our a lot of our cooperation with each other requires social norms to maintain the cooperation. It might even be such a social norm as do your fair share. And if we don't have social norms at all, then to a very large extent we will not be able to cooperate with each other um, and therefore a lot of our society will collapse. This is one of the reasons why people say social norms are so incredibly beneficial for a society. But as we've talked about earlier, not all social norms are beneficial for a society. So when I say that a society without social norms will be chaotic, and very difficult to live in. That does not mean that I also think that a society has to have the social norms that we have in our society today. We could very well have some different social norms and still have a society in which we can reliably predict what other people will will do, where we can predict how they will react to our behavior and where we can sustain cooperation and a peaceful peaceful coexistence with each other. Look, in regard to giving gifts, I've heard it said that a bunch of flowers is much more acceptable than a pot plant. Why is this? I think it is because there's a social norm against putting a receiver of a gift under any kind of requirement to, to do something, really. A gift is supposed to be purely nice for the receiver. It's not supposed to be something that they don't really want, something that, well, more than something they don't really want. It's not supposed to be something that will be burdensome to them. And so the idea is with a pot plant, it needs looking after. The receiver of a pot plant 
has to commit to keep giving water to this pot plant. And in some scenarios, it might even be that the receiver feels under a moral obligation to do so because next time the gift giver comes over for dinner, they will have a look to see how that pot plant is doing. So it becomes a burden rather than a nice thing for the receiver. Whereas cut flowers, you put in a vase and you put in some water and that's it. They take care of themselves until they wither and die. Yeah, I suppose the, the same could be said for giving somebody a puppy or a kitten. Yes, very much so, very much so. And I think this, there are extremely strong social norms against giving somebody a kitten or a puppy unless they have explicitly said that they want one. This is why I find the signs under outside some of the coffee shops so amusing. The, the signs that say um, some version of children that are not being looked after by a, a responsible adult will be given free espresso and a kitten. <laughs> yes, yes I, can, I can see the funny side of that, but yes, it is, it is quite serious. And look, I, I think that cultural factors come into play too because I, I remember I was called in when there was a situation that a woman who had just knew, knew fairly new to this country and didn't really understand our customs, uh, she was living in a small apartment and her neighbour commented to her that she'd like to have a cat. So she thought that she'd be helpful, so she went down to the pet shop to get her neighbour a cat, just trying to be neighbourly, and the pet shop told her that if, if she purchased four kittens, it'd be cheaper than one. So she ended up in a studio apartment, and she had a partner and two children and four kittens. And a friend of mine called me because she didn't have a car and said, look, can we, can we go over and try and sort this problem out? Because when she told the neighbour that she'd, you know, gotten her four kittens, she said, oh, she said, no. She said, well, it, it was just sort of a, a sort of a thoughtful fantasy, really, because she said, I, I really couldn't look after a kitten or a cat in a studio apartment, but it's just something I, I would like to have, but it wouldn't be practical. So then I had to go over and we had to take the four kittens and try and rehome them. Yeah, and it is, this is part of, this is part of the ambiguities of language and the understanding of the, the implicit background between, behind, behind statements. And if you're new to a culture, you don't have that background understanding and so therefore you are you quite often misunderstand or are misunderstood. I, I have moved between countries a bit myself, and I've sometimes found myself in situations where social norms about how to express certain things in the country where I come from are not in line with the social norms about how to express things in the country that I moved to. And sometimes that, that just generates really awkward social situations. And so... At one time when I moved from Sweden to the, to the U.S., I was explaining to an acquaintance in the U.S. about my rather trivial but annoying problems buying stamps in the post office. And I did so in a way that in Sweden would have been understood as she's just having a small complaint about uh, an annoying thing that happened to her in the morning. But my, my American friend looked at me and said, 
oh, it must be so awful for you to be new in this country. You must really miss your home country. I'm so sorry that you're struggling here. And I felt very baffled. I wasn't at all struggling. I just had a slightly annoying experience of the post office this morning. So it turns out that the social norms of expressing negative experiences in the U.S. were such that what I what I took to be a normal expression of annoyance was there understood as a major thing. If you if you express that much negativity, then it means that you must be feeling really awful. Um, and and I think those kinds of experiences are moving between cultures and realizing how the social norms differ, both very interesting and, at least with hindsight, often amusing. Mm, yes, yes, they can be. Yes, I'm thinking of a couple of friends of mine who complain quite a bit and people would interpret them to be quite devastated most of their lives. And, and, and sometimes this is also just personality-based. personality, personality based. Some people complain a lot as the kind of people they are um, without really meaning all that much. It's just the way they express themselves. That's not necessarily related to social norms. In fact, it might be that they don't realize that they are violating social norms about how to express how to phrase things or how to express things in such a way that you show the you know, the correct um, level of discontent, the, the level of discontent you're actually feeling. So they think that they are expressing themselves in a way that other people will understand in one way, whereas in fact other people understand it in a different way because the people you're talking about, the complaining people, simply haven't understood the, the social norms surrounding how much complaining you do for what level of discontent. Yeah, and that certainly varies from country to country. Well, thank you very much for being on the program today. Thank you very much. And I've been speaking to Dr Lena Erickson about social norms. This is Catherine MacDonald here announcing... 3CR Radical Philosophy Program it's on 8.55 on your AM dial your fantastic philosophy program introducing us to women philosophers and that's all we have time for today hope you've enjoyed the program and been given plenty of food for thought